Welcome to On Air with Amber Wynn, where nonprofit leaders learn to fuse passion and commitment with proven business strategies to create long-term funding, impact, and sustainability. And now, here's your host and resident philanthropreneur, Amber Wynn. It's your girl, Amber Wynn, and I'm so excited about today's topic because a lot of times as nonprofits, we just don't realize that a nonprofit is a business, but it is. A nonprofit is a business, y'all. It is a business with a philanthropic purpose. And guess what? Just because in your mind you've determined that it's different, uh, it's not. A nonprofit is under the auspices of the IRS. What does that mean? That means that nonprofits report to the IRS and the IRS has rules, but not only the IRS, but your local um, government agencies, um, the Franchise Tax Board, the Labor Board. And today we're gonna talk about human resources, in particular, employee classification. Um, Especially in California, There's a law, AB5, that's passed, and it has impacted the way employers um, classify their um, employees. But even outside of AB5, classification is huge in labor law. Um, So when we come back from our first sponsor, I'm going to talk to you about classification in the nonprofit sector. Do you have a tool that organizes your company's paperwork and takes care of all your record keeping? Does your current record keeping system send you 90 day alerts to remind you that your key documents are about to expire and need to be renewed? Can you find contracts and procurement opportunities in seconds from any of the 50 United States so you can grow your business? Is your business organized so that you can tell which key documents are needed to efficiently run the business? How about woman-owned, small business, or disadvantaged business enterprise certifications? Do you have a checklist of all the key documents you need to become certified? Does your current system allow you to conduct market research from multiple sources and provide you industry and market data in seconds? Well, Small Biz Pro does all of that and more. Small Biz Pro is the number one business management, compliance, procurement assistance, and market research assistance tool on the market today. Download the app now and you will be a Amazed. It's like having three additional employees working for you, but you don't have to pay them. What are you waiting for? Welcome back to On Air with Amber. It's your girl in resident philanthropist. And today we are talking about one of those things that businesses really need to focus on, and that is employee classification. And I said businesses because a nonprofit is a business. Today we're going to talk about something that's really important because I find it, especially with um, nonprofit organizations who've grown and they need to hire staff to do the work. It's a good thing, right? But what happens often is um, because there's not a steady stream of revenue, the, the organization tries to streamline, I mean, let's just keep it real, some of the costs by having the employees be 1099 versus W-2 employees. And what they're trying to do is to save on payroll taxes. 
but it can end up biting you um, in the end because um, there are rules that every nonprofit has to abide by. It's not any different because you're a nonprofit organization. If you're a for-profit or nonprofit, um, the Fair Labor Standards Act says that there are rules that determine the difference between an employee and an independent contractor. And so I just wanted to make sure that my nonprofit community understands that. Um, I have so many nonprofits coming to me when we're discussing their budget. And they're like, oh, no, they're part time. I don't have to, you know, pay them um, benefits. Oh, no, um, they're independent contracts. I don't have to pay, you know, benefits. Now, there's there, there's two types of benefits. The benefits that are required, which would be workers comp, um, which would be SSI, FICA, those are required. So if you are paying employees, you have to pay those. Then there are the benefits that are additional, vacation, sick, um, you know, those types of leaves. Those aren't required. But in the event of you hiring um, employees, you can't get around that, right? You can't get around those state taxes that are that are mandated. But today's conversation, I want to just talk to those beautiful, well-intentioned individuals who are um, classifying their, their employees as 1099 contractors. Here's the thing. There are rules, and the rules go as follows. If you are directing the work of your employees, if you are telling them what time they have to arrive, what time they have to leave, if you're providing them with things like laptops or um, handouts or, you know, your curriculum, if you are directing them in the way that they should conduct themselves, the way they should dress, those are W-2 employee indicators right? So an independent contractor is literally a person who um, is responsible for, drives, determines their own outcomes. Meaning, for example, I'm an independent contractor. As a consultant, I say to my, um, I say to the people who have hired me, I can work on this day, this day, or this day. And as long as I get the work done, it doesn't matter. But if you have employees where you say, I need you in the after school program from two to five, and I need you to deliver this curriculum, and I need you to do a report, and I need you to, then that is a W-2 employee. Now, they can be part-time. They're only working. Um, it just depends on which state you're in. But typically in California, it's 32 hours or less. That can be part-time, but you are still controlling the way that they work, the content that they're delivering. Um, where they do their work. And as such, they are no longer considered 1099. So I want you to think about that because here's the thing. Um, it Let's just say one of your 1099 people, um, you, you tell them that they're laid off. The first thing they're going to do is try and file for unemployment, right? They don't qualify as 1099. So what happens is then that the state of California comes in there like, wait, this person filed. Let's look at how you're actually treating them. What then can happen is that you'll get a fine for $15,000 for each infraction. So if you have 10, 1099 um, subcontractors, that could potentially be $15,000 
each person because you've misclassified them. I'm just going to be real. The state wants their money. So they're going to investigate. And if they can find you, they will, because that's more money coming into their coffers. So you want to be really, really careful about the classification. The other thing that is determined is how, how are they working? You know, if, if you're giving them instructions, they're not really participating in, um, the decision-making, then they can be hourly, but what happens also is people are working long hours. So, you know, they don't want to pay them overtime. So they'll say, oh, just make them, you know, exempt. Well, that comes with the law as well. Exempt individuals tend to be more upper management and they are involved in the decision making. They typically um, supervise other people and um, they're just more participatory in the administrative portion of the organization. So let's just say if you have, mm, I'm going to say a janitor and the person is opening and closing and you have a lot of activities going on, you don't want to play the janitor, you know, overtime. So you make the janitor exempt. It doesn't work that way because the janitor is not participating in administrative decisions. The janitor's opening, closing, emptying trash, making sure that, you know, people have what they have. So again, it's possible that if the you know, fair labor board came to your organization and you had this person as exempt, they would say, this person doesn't qualify to be exempt. And so now you, you're going to be fined. So I just really want to point that out because it's important. You already don't have a lot of money. <laughs> and so now to have to go back and pay 15, five, 10, $15,000 because you misclassified your, your employees it makes sense to just go ahead, set your organization up properly, pay the required taxes, and then you're free from all of these fines. A lot of people didn't even know that. A lot of people in the nonprofit sector didn't know that there are rules and regulations that determine how an employee should be classified. Well, I'm here to let you know that there are, and that it's important that if you've been classifying your employees as 1099 and you tell them where to go, when to go, how to go, that you fix that. Yep, you fix that. <laughs> you, if you don't have a, a human resources department, then guess what you need to get? You need to get some type of payroll in your organization that's going to allow you to then process them properly. There's bill.com. There's ADP out there. Do your research, whatever software or company works best for you, set that up because it's going to come to bite you in the end. I am going to provide for you in the link. Um, it's, it's a, it's a chart and it lets you know the difference between 1099 versus W2. It's a checklist. And so you can go through it and you can determine for yourself, Ooh, I should be Oh, wow. They should be W2. So you can make that determination. The other thing I wanted to say um, is that you may not get caught or you may get caught later. And guess what they can do? They can go all the way back and look and see how you've been, you know, paying your employee. So just be cognizant of that. And I want you to do the right thing. A nonprofit is a business. It's just a business with the philanthropic purpose. So there are some things that you will be required to do and you can't get around it. Classifying your employees, having them, 
at the at the right levels, paying them what they should be paid. That's a part of running a business. So think about that. And yeah, check in the link. I'm going to give you a checklist with the difference between a 1099 and um, a W-2 employee. Right now we're going to pause, but when we come back, um, we have a question from Irvine um, with Ask Amber. We'll be back in a minute. Introducing DonorBox Events, a new seamless ticketing solution to fire up your nonprofit fundraising efforts. Golf day or glittering gala, now you can create effective event pages with unlimited ticket levels, determine fair market, and tax-deductible ticket values for every new fundraising function in a matter of minutes. Maximize and simplify your ticket management with DonorBox Events, helping you help others. Welcome back. For those of you just joining me, you're on air with Amber Wynn. It's your girl. I'm in the house. And today we're talking about human resources, in particular, employee classification. Um, but right now we're going to take our question from Jasmine, who is out of Irvine. And Jasmine's question is, um, hi, Amber, just curious, is there a difference between grants and proposals? Um, and what is what do they mean by LOI, RFP, RFA? Yeah. I get it. Okay. So I am going to share with you a secret in the nonprofit world. So many things have been mislabeled and called what it shouldn't be. In actuality, when people say, you know, um, I'm going to apply for a grant, that is correct. A grant is something which is distributed by a funder. When a person says, you know, I need a grant writer, that is incorrect. What they should be saying is I need a proposal writer because the proposal is what is written in response to a grant. Now, how do funders let you know that they are interested in awarding a grant? They put out what's called um, an RFP, a request for proposal. It's not an RFG. It's an RFP, a request for proposal or um, an RFA, a request for application or an N-O-F-A, notice of, uh, <laughs> a NOFA, notice for applications. Um, and if you're applying to foundations and sometimes even government grants, um, you'll, you'll hear what's called an LOI. That's a letter of intent or a letter of inquiry. And basically with the LOI, it's a shorter version. It's usually like two to five pages and um, in foundations, they want to use that to help weed people out because they typically don't have large staff. So the LOI will let them know in advance if what you're proposing is in alignment with their mission. And if it is, then they'll ask you to submit a full proposal, not a grant, a proposal. And if it's a government, they usually ask for an LOI because they want to know how many people are applying so that they have enough people to review. So to answer your question, the grant usually is misnamed, but when a funder gives you an award, that is the grant. And when you submit for the grant, it's called a proposal. So we should be called proposal writers, not grant writers. Anyways, that was a great question. Thank you so much, Jasmine. Now it is time for my 
most favorite part of the episode when I get to highlight my nonprofits. Listen, if you want me to highlight you on my podcast, um, you can reach out to me and um, submit a two minute video. Make sure that um, there's words on it because I'm also going to broadcast you on um, the podcast. I've had people submit things and it's really beautiful but it's just pictures. (laughs) Um, I need for you to have some type of narration so that, you know, the people who are on the audio knows what's going on. So two minute video, make sure that the last slide has your contact information on it. So today we are highlighting an organization called Create Now. Create Now's mission is to empower youth and young adults ages three to 24 through a variety of arts programs and multiple disciplines that help them to heal and thrive. Their programs provide essential opportunities for the most troubled youth to heal from trauma, change their lives by building their confidence and self-esteem, and develop skills that can lead to jobs and careers. Let's check out Create Now. Create Now was founded in 1996 to help at-risk youth find their voices through arts mentoring and education. They offer vulnerable at-risk youth who are overcoming challenges such as poverty, abuse, and homelessness with experiences that help them heal and lead to a brighter future. Create Now works with over 100 community partners, including shelters, detention facilities, schools, and group homes. Their programs are offered in a variety of disciplines through visual arts classes such as painting, murals, and sculpture. Their kids enjoy the fun and therapeutic benefits of the arts. Their music programs teach recording and production, as well as classes in guitar, keyboards, and percussion. Kids in the literary arts programs learn screenwriting, journalism, creative writing, and poetry. In digital media arts, students learn photography and graphic design. In video production, they create a fictional or documentary story which they direct, act, shoot, and edit. Create Now's performing arts workshops include singing, dancing, acting, comedy, magic, and theater, which often culminates as talent shows, fashion design workshops, teach youth about design, branding, and the fashion industry. Each year, Create Now brings thousands of children to concerts, plays, museums, film studios, and circuses. For many of these kids, it's their first time attending a live performance or cultural event. Create Now also provides customized community arts programs in disadvantaged neighborhoods to help ease tensions. These events are held in parks, rec centers, and other public places. Their programs are designed with long-term goals so that kids have the opportunity to discover new talents, build self-esteem, and develop skills that can lead to fulfilling careers. To expand our programs and reach the hundreds of thousands of vulnerable kids in Southern California, we need your help. So please, donate to Create Now. Every dollar counts. And we are deeply grateful for your support. Donations can be made through our website, or we invite you to give us a call or send us an email to learn more. Thank you for your support. Create now. Discovering talents, 
Building esteem, developing skills, now. Thank you, Create Now. If you're interested in supporting the organization, you can reach them at www.createnow.org. Yay. <laughs> All right, so now it's time for Amber's Mindset Minute. And basically, I just have to reiterate what I said earlier today. Um, there are rules and regulations for a nonprofit. A lot of times people make stuff up and come to me and I'm like, well, I thought, well, I thought, sorry, it doesn't matter what you think, what you think could get you into financial trouble. It is your responsibility as the founder, as the executive director to know, to know what the rules are and to follow them. So during this mindset minute, I want you to think about your responsibility as a business leader and really just set your infrastructure up the right way. That's my mindset minute conversation for you today. The case for setting up your infrastructure the right way. You can make it up and you can potentially put your organization in a position where they're fined five, 10, $15,000 and you don't have it. So there are people who, you know, well, I haven't gotten caught yet. You haven't. And when you do, then you want to be upset. My thing is set it up the right way. And I hear this all the time. Well, I don't have it. And I don't, if you don't have it, then you're not ready. You're not ready to have your organization in the community. And it's really just that simple. And it may very well be that you are delivering services to a community that needs you. I'm not saying that's not true. What I'm saying though, is you get your community used to providing these services and then you get shut down because you can't pay the fines. That doesn't help. So stop what you're doing and start functioning as a viable business. Um, there are plenty of episodes on my podcast that talks to you about how to do that, how to set your nonprofit up the right way. If you go onto my website, you can download a free calendar and it shows you all of the things you need to put in place before you even start. So if you download that free calendar and you see, I don't have X, Y, Z, L, M, N, O, P, then get those things because when you have those things in place, then you are qualified for funding and it'll be a whole lot easier for you to be able to cover um, staff if you have consistent revenue coming in. But you can't get consistent revenue coming in if your infrastructure is not tight. It's not enough just to have a 501c3. You have to have systems in place. You have to have documentation that reads a certain way. And when you have those things in place, Trust me, my clients have gotten funded three times faster, four times more the amount that they were just bringing in. They're bringing in 10, you know, $5,000. That's not going to keep your organization afloat. You need to be bringing in $100,000. And the way that that happens is by having your infrastructure in place because a funder is not going to give you money if you don't look like a viable um, nonprofit organization. So I want you to set your infrastructure up the way that um, the IRS and the state um, tax franchise board and all of the agencies that govern nonprofits, you have to get your infrastructure in place. 
once that happens, it's like, you know, driving around and you know you have, you know you have your uh, registration. So if a, a cop comes behind you and they boop, boop, be doop, you're fine because you're legal, right? But if you know your tags are expired and they come up behind you, then you get tense and you stress. I don't want you to be tense and stressed. I don't want you always looking over your shoulder because you know that your infrastructure is raggedy. Get your house in order. I have resources that can help you. So go check out my website and listen to the rest of my podcasts and, you know, check out some of the things I share on my Instagram because it's going to help you to get your, your house in order. And that's where you need to be because a nonprofit is a business. It's just a business with a philanthropic purpose. All right. That's all I got for you this week. Make sure you take care of yourself like you take care of your community. Thanks for listening. If you enjoyed this episode, subscribe and leave a review on iTunes. Head over to www.amberwin.net slash podcast for the links and resources mentioned in today's podcast. See you next time.